0: Did you know that 2018 is officially the year of no nonsense? (laughs) It is. I said so. So I created this revolution, I'm calling it, um, with the year of no nonsense. And you can check it out at yearofnononsense.com. But I created this pledge and we have this group and it's totally free, but it's just a group of people who are saying, you know what? 2017 and, and prior has been a little bit of nonsense and I'm ready to define my life on my terms and to get rid of the nonsense and my particular brand of nonsense in my life, and we all have our own special brands of nonsense. You know what I'm talking about. Whether it's we go stand in front of the pantry after dinner and continue to shove food in our face, or we put up with um, unnecessary drama and gossip at work or in our personal lives, or we just have those people on Facebook that we have yet to unfollow or unfriend. These are all certain types of nonsense, and there's many more. So I hope you guys will think about joining us on this year of no nonsense revolution to 2018 and beyond. I sound like Bud's light year, but check it out, yearofnononsense.com. Today's episode is with Dr. Will Cole, who is a functional medicine practitioner and we had a really great chat about some of the ways that medicine is, you know, traditional medicine is failing us and trying to just prescribe medication when there are other options. This episode is a fascinating look into integrative medicine and autoimmune um, inflammation, thyroid, and we even talk about some of the implications of inflammation on endurance athletes so hope you guys enjoy this episode with Dr. Will Cole and check out his website he is the Netflix of integrative medicine and you'll figure out what that means after listening to this episode hope you guys enjoy the show with Dr. Will Cole Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those
1: hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success.
0: Today's guest is Dr. Will Cole. Hi.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing awesome. It's it's a great day.
0: It is a great day. It's a great day, except my uh, Georgia Bulldogs lost the national championship, so we don't have to talk about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'll, oh, I'll yeah. <laughs> actually not that
0: big of a football person. I just kind of feel like I'm required to be when that happens. So
1: <laughs> That's how it is in Pittsburgh, too. I mean, the, this is like the uh, sport one of the sport cities of this country, so if the Steelers lose, there's like a haze above right. the city. And I'm not even really into football either, but it's like, I feel bad for the city itself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel. Good. Well, we're on the same page there. So thanks so much for joining us. Let's talk a little bit about who you are and what you do. You're a functional medicine practitioner. What exactly is that?
1: Yeah. So um, my doctorate is from Southern California University of Health Sciences. It's sort of this big integrative wellness school um there's medical doctors that are instruct there there's dcs there's nds there's lacs there's nurse practitioners there's lots of different health um you know modalities there that are that are taught there and then are. so it's a really integrative school which is awesome and they have acupuncture oriental medicine school there as well and um yeah, my postdoctorate is in functional medicine and clinical nutrition. So, how I kind of came in into this was I heard, of – I was at the school. I heard of a guy called Datis Karazian, and and he was talking about this thing called functional medicine. He had gone to my school, but he was older than I was, and I thought this is this sounds really good. Um, and that was a long time ago. That was <laughs> over over ten years ago, and I've never looked back since. And it's been sort of this this journey of of really immersing myself into functional medicine and now the ripple effect of that is today 80% of my patients are around the world in different states and countries where we have a virtual functional medicine practice and I get to talk to people in the most random of all places, you know, in the Middle East and in Australia, New Zealand, or Atlanta, (laughs) Atlanta, remote parts of the United States. It's it's um it's a really cool. I I love the place that I'm in right now and just the opportunity opportunity I have to be a part of someone's health journey. But to specifically kind of tell you what the heck is functional medicine. It, another word for it is integrative medicine or systems medicine. So if I had to compare and contrast functional medicine with mainstream medicine, uh, there would be a few things that we could kind of say. Number one, we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So anybody that's listening knows, okay, if I get this my labs done for my doctor, they say they give me my number and then they give me a reference range or this X to Y normal range. Um, for all the different biomarkers that the doctor is testing for in the lab. Where we get that normal reference range is based on a statistical bell curve average of the population of that specific lab. So if you go to another lab, you'll probably see that reference range will vary slightly from lab to lab. I mean, they are not standardized. Other than a few exceptions, like cholesterol, vitamin D, there's a few exceptions, but the majority, the vast majority of the labs that people have ran are not standardized. And then you kind of have to ask the question, who are people that typically go to labs? They're people with health problems. Wow! So there's a lot of people that are like, wait, I don't feel well, I feel fatigued, or I can't lose weight, or I have these strange inflammatory symptoms, or I have these hormonal type symptoms. And the doctors run the labs, the basic labs, and then the labs largely, if not entirely, come back, quote unquote, normal and even though the patient knows instinctively, heck, I don't feel normal and they're told you're just depressed, here's an antidepressant or (laughs) you're just getting older or you just need to lose weight or you send to another specialist with more labs showing everything's quote unquote normal even though something is not. What they're unintentionally saying is you're a lot like the other sick people that make up the population of that reference range. So You're a normal, you ta-
0: sick person.
1: Yeah. Comparing yourself to a population of people who go to labs isn't going to be a good indicator for how you can feel your best. So if you take people with health problems out of that reference range, what's left is people that live long, healthy lives, people that feel great, they're thriving. Uh, that's a much tighter refer- much tighter <laughs> interval of numbers within that larger reference range. So. Functional medicine, doctors, functional medicine, practitioners, we in functional medicine can kind of say comparing you to where you will feel your best. Um, that can give people a lot of insight into, hey, this isn't, you're not just crazy. And they start to think that they are because everyone's saying everything's fine. Right. Um, and then we run comprehensive labs. We're looking at things like microbiome issues, like underlying gut issues, or autoimmune inflammation issues, or food sensitivities, or hormonal imbalances, or toxicity issues, or whatever's relevant to the case. We want to dig deep to the root cause of why somebody's going through their health issues. And then we realize we're all different. There's not a cookie cutter one size fits all approach to getting well and i've seen good healthy things work great for one person and then flare the next person up so i try not to have a bias as you know this is the way that everybody with syndrome y should do um because i'll probably be proven wrong with the next patient so i have to look (laughs) at their health history comprehensively i have to look at their their labs comprehensively and then what actually works in their life and what doesn't work in their life and use real life as a lab. So we use food as medicine, we use herbal botanical medicines to really customize healthcare to the individual, but it's evidence-based on labs. So that's my long-winded uh, sermon on functional medicine.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, so let, you mentioned microbiome. What is, this is such a buzzword lately, but I think it's with good, within good reason why it's becoming so important, but what is our microbiome?
1: So the microbiome is the term, if you break down that word, micro, small, right? Biome is life. So it's the small life. It's the trillions of small lives in our gut. And um, it is, we're, in our gut, there's upwards of 100 trillion bacteria. That's a lot of bacteria. Mm-hmm. And we have, our, we have about 10 trillion human cells. So we are all, in effect, about 10 times more bacteria than human. And <laughs> we're sort of this sort of sophisticated... We're
0: one big cootie. <laughs> yeah.
1: People were freaked People were freaked out by germs. They're, we wouldn't <laughs> only be goners without healthy bugs in our gut and on our skin. Uh, uh, this is a major deal. I mean, this is regulating just about every... Uh, system in our body, the microbiome has its hand in in some way, we're the sophisticated host for the microbiome and they regulate a lot of stuff. They are 75%, our gastrointestinal system, of which the probiotics are a major part of, they are, it's 75% of our immune system, Um, 95% of our serotonin is made in our gut, stored in our gut, the bacteria actually instruct how our hormones are regulated. They instruct our brain and the way our mood actually affects our mood. So different colonies of bacteria in uh, imbalanced levels are linked to anxiety and depression. Our gut is referred to as our second brain in the medical literature, and if you think about it, I think our intestines kind of resemble the brain. And there, I don't think that's on accident. And our gut and brain are actually formed from the same fetal tissue, which is also uh, quite interesting when you think they're inextricably linked to the rest of our life through what's called the gut-brain axis. So when I talk about the microbiome, we can't just be concerned with digestion, which is certainly important, but the far-reaching implications of The power of the microbiome is really what I'm more concerned with because of how it can impact the immune system and impact our hormones and our brain. And um, so, yeah, I could talk about the gut all day long, but (laughs) I'm a gut health nerd, but I, I love it. And I see the power that it has when you fix these issues on somebody's health.
0: Yeah. I mean, from a personal standpoint, so I grew up with a lot of food allergies. I mean, tons. I'm allergic to the major soy, wheat, corn, pork, you know, everything. I think it's easier to say what I'm not allergic and intolerant to than what I can eat. (laughs) But anyway, um, so as far as healing my gut, I've realized that that has been a major component of something that I have to do because I've spent so many decades at this point. Um, kind of breaking down my gut with these foods that I'm not, and I don't know if it's it's not necessarily an allergy. I have learned there's a difference between an allergy and an intolerance, correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So, and those words are used interchangeably in the health blogosphere, but um, allergies and intolerances, and even intolerances and sensitivities, those are like the three words that are used interchangeably. But Intolerance is the true sense of the word is actually typically an enzyme deficiency like a lactose intolerance. A person is lacking lactase and they need the enzyme to break down the dairy sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, even the gluten intolerance, the more accurate word in my opinion would be gluten sensitivity because it is still immune mediated, meaning it has something to do with the immune system but it's not an allergy, which is the anaphylactic sort of immediate histamine response. Um, so it, maybe it's semantics doesn't matter. Some, I mean, the pro, the issue is I'm having a problem with the food. What's going on here? And my job in functional medicine is to find out, okay, well, what are you having a problem with and then why?
0: But it is a big difference, though, because, like, when, we, when I took my son, who's 10, we went and had allergy tests together all through. My son, my daughter, and myself, we all went to one doctor, and we all got, you know— checked for and pricked or whatever but my son swelled up really big with eggs and nuts right and I didn't even though my blood work for the sensitivity test came back really high so but he's super allergic which means he could have an anaphylactic reaction correct (laughs) like that's danger danger yeah
1: depending on how yeah. CV is for sure. I mean, yeah, right. They can, can be definitely very dangerous where they need EpiPens and, like, this is, like, life-threatening. Sensitivities are not life-threatening in mm-hmm. most – I can't even think of a case where they are. But they can be debilitating nonetheless. They can wreck your health nonetheless. They can make right, you feel right. lousy nonetheless, yeah.
0: Right. I know um – so how is that tied into autoimmune? You, you know, you hear about autoimmune disorders and white blood cell counts through the roof. And like, how does this all tie in?
1: So going back to the microbiome, our immune system, 75% of that's around that is in the gut. So you have to, to understand autoimmunity, you have to look at where the majority of the immune system resides. And that's the microbiome. So many studies are implicating the gut uh, microbiome to different autoimmune conditions. Um, some researchers say it's a precondition for autoimmunity, meaning that you have to have some underlying microbiome dysfunction to then get autoimmunity. I don't know if I you can say that with every autoimmune disease, but it's definitely at least because it's so much implicated, you should at least rule it out if someone has some sort of autoimmune inflammation. And what I mean by that is that there's – To date, and again, this number would only continue to to rise, I would expect, but there's about 100 different autoimmune diseases that we know in science today, uh, meaning that the immune system is attacking certain parts of the body, like MS, or Parkinson's, or rheumatoid arthritis, or Sjogren's, or lupus, or celiac disease, all of these different uh, labels, these different ICD 10 diagnosis codes. And then in addition to the 100, there's another 40 that have at least an autoimmune component to them, meaning that there's a piece to the puzzle that's autoimmune in nature. And what researchers are finding and what we know in functional medicine is that the diagnosis criteria for many of these autoimmune diseases are really end-stage problems, meaning that there has to be significant amount of destruction from the immune system, meaning there's so much... Immune destruction caused by infl- or because of inflammation, but that, that at that point but someone's diagnosed at that point. So no, for example, know. there has to be ninety percent destruction of your adrenal glands before you're bad enough to be labeled with as Addison's disease or autoimmune adrenal disease. There has to be about seventy percent destruction of your myelin sheath before you're bad enough to it'll show up in a, on an imaging stu- study and they'll call you, it'll say you have MS. Uh, 80% destruction of your villi in your gut before you're bad enough to be labeled with a celiac disease. So that Those things didn't happen overnight, 90%, 80%, 70% destruction of certain parts of our body. But there are millions more that are not that bad, but are still really suffering with health symptoms, unexplained health symptoms, where they're somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. And there's three stages on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. There's silent autoimmunity and then there's autoimmune reactivity and then autoimmune disease. Many people are residing in this autoimmune reactivity where they're not bad enough to be fitting the criteria, but they are still having this autoimmune flare ups where a lot of our patients are finding themselves on. Wow.
0: That's huge. That's huge information. He- and, that, and that's what you were saying about when you look at labs, you, you know, you're normal. You're kind of coming in, you know, 50% sooner to identify, right?
1: Right. I mean, it's yeah. on average 10 years prior wow. to diagnosis, these things begin. So meaning when the, someone's diagnosed with MS or, or celiac disease or this didn't, this happened on average 10 years before that. That's a lot of life. That's a lot of choices. That's a lot of lot of decision making that the person can make um, when we start seeing these autoimmune reactivities. And that's not to say that everybody in stage two autoimmune reactivity is going to be going to be diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. They may stay in autoimmune reactivity for the rest of their life, which is again not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's my my point is they would be undiagnosed. They wouldn't even know why they're going through what they're going through. They're just told, oh, you have fibromyalgia or you have chronic fatigue syndrome or oh, it looks like autoimmune or it kind of looks like lupus, but they never get the clear answer. Many people are found and finding themselves in this place where they just have no real no none of the doctors can agree because they're in this autoimmune reactivity and there's no box that you can be put in yet no, nor do you want to be put in a box right like this is the problem with the standard model of care with autoimmune conditions is because they want to put you in a box to wait till your body's destroyed enough of itself to then only put you on a steroid or an immunosuppressant which anybody on those medications will tell you it's not like a it's not this magic drug that's going to cure all their problems they have a lot of potential side effects and they still are struggling with their health problems
0: wow so where do you start when someone comes to you and they're like, everything hurts and I'm dying, or, you know, I'm like, my stomach hurts, my head hurts, my joints hurt, like what is kind of the process that you take them through?
1: So we have to start with looking at what labs are the most relevant to their case. So looking at things like the microbiome, looking at things like maybe histamine intolerance, where... They're responding negatively to even healthy foods.
0: So what is uh, histamine intolerance?
1: So histamine intolerance is, histamine is a obviously a, a, a aspect of our immune system. And some people do not break down histamine very well. And they have these sort of skin rash flare-ups or GI flare-ups. Um, and because their body's not breaking it down. Now, most of the time, histamine intolerance is caused by an underlying microbiome issue like leaky gut syndrome, which means things can pass through the gut that shouldn't be passing through the gut, the guts, un- the microbiome is unhealthy, things like SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth can contribute to th- histamine intolerance. So these are tests that we can run to kind of see what's relevant for the individual. Not everybody needs to be addressing things, especially if they're not going through something. So we want to find out as definitively as we can through labs, what's right for your body. And since we're all different. You want to see what's pertinent to your case as an individual. So histamine intolerance, we need to support what the underlying root issue is. And then sometimes the person needs added enzymes to help break down histamine in their body.
0: Okay. So you look at the labs as like what kind of, so you determine what panels they need run basically first. Yeah. Based on the conditions or on the
1: health history. So we ask a lot of questions. I mean, we, I would one older guy say, "Are you in the KGB?" They, <laughs> they ask tons of questions, and I'm like, "I just I'm not in the KGB. I have nothing to do with Russia. But I want to I want to ask questions that haven't been asked before. It's like clinical Sherlock Holmes is saying, "Well, look. I mean, there's some obscure questions that we ask in functional medicine to kind of be clinical." clues as to what labs are the most relevant to you so um for example like the outer thirds of your eyebrows thing maybe like why are they asking me about my eyebrows at least it's not like a a beauty salon but i want to know because that's one sign that there's a thyroid issue or if i want to ask if you're craving salt it could be a sign that there's something uh, an issue with the brain adrenal axis it doesn't it's not, it's subdiagnostic, meaning that just because something looks like a duck doesn't mean it's a duck. But we at least should rule it out because it does look like a duck. So we want mm-hmm. to find out if it's a duck or a goose, or you know, <laughs> to actually see do our digging in at that point. My so,
0: eyebrows look like a duck. Maybe I should talk to you.
1: <laughs> so. That basically start with the health history, then run labs that are most relevant to the individual. And then we explain it to them. And, you know, it's like this bittersweet moment where obviously I don't want to be cavalier and say, well, we have all these issues wrong. But you know what? The patient already knows something's wrong, and the last thing they want me to say is to say what all the other doctors said is everything's fine, even though they know it's not fine. So if anything, it validates why they feel the way that they do, and they know they're not crazy. And We actually have a starting point and a baseline to do something about it, which they get excited about because they already know they're suffering, but now they have a plan to do something about it.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so what is the most common thing you see? Like, w- what do most people come to you and you're like? I mean, I know you take the time to make sure you're very individual with everyone, but like, what is the most common problem that you see?
1: I would say autoimmune conditions are our top patient base, and how that manifests in different people obviously, it's very far reaching. It can impact just about every system in the body, but if you had to put one patient base, it would be autoimmune conditions. Within autoimmune conditions, I would probably say autoimmune thyroid issues are top, and that's things like Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease. That's number one, and statistically in the country, that's number one too. I mean, it's really the most uh, common autoimmune condition. And then things like MS, are we see a lot as well, Um, and different autoimmune gut issues too. So like um, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, And people, again, that have autoimmune reactivity, people that are not diagnosable, but when either we're running labs or they have a family health history of it, we see that they have this autoimmune reactivity going on, and we have to calm that inflammation down.
0: So, how long does it take to calm inflammation down?
1: Well, it can start happening uh, pretty quickly. I I mean, there's research. That's
0: a really big question.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean,. I I would say this. There's subjective and objective aspects to this. I mean, like, are we measuring on a lab? Are we just seeing changes in someone's life? Patients can start seeing changes in their life pretty darn quickly. If we're being really intentional about the changes and making the right changes for the individual, they're going to notice it within the first week. Now, some people move really fast. Some people move stubbornly slower uh, at their body does at recovering. So everybody, everybody has their own uh, pace at recovery of healing. Um, but you can start noticing it as soon as in a couple of days. Now, but the gut immune axis, it's quite a beast to, to heal from. Research indicates that it can take about 18 to 24 months to really heal from. So that takes time. And that's not saying that they have to wait that long to feel better, but that's kind of their journey to start really repairing these things that didn't happen overnight, they're not going to heal overnight either.
0: And that's part of the frustration in this world, right? Everyone wants to be fixed now, and that's like why all these medical doctors are pushing pills, (laughs) because it's a perceived healing immediately, right?
1: Well, yeah, it's an easy solution. It seems like one, but... I mean rarely is there one thing that's like going to solve everyone's problems and anybody on medication most people will tell you it's not. It may they may have this honeymoon period with it but ultimately they still have these symptoms, they know lingeringly there's still something not being addressed here and ultimately we know nobody is sick from a medication deficiency. And we can't like medicate ourselves <laughs> to health one day. Or you know, we've hit our libitor deficiency with <laughs> or whatever medication you want to say that for. Um so yeah, it's 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 gonna take time and it's gonna take effort, which is not really sexy sounding in our like immediate instant gratification society.
0: Right. So you mentioned thyroid. Let's talk a little bit about thyroid and, and the implications on an unhealthy thyroid. I, I guess that's probably not the correct term, but I'm not you. You talk about it. <laughs> um, so,
1: sorry, I'm sipping some hot water here. I've been talking okay. too much and I'm losing my voice. So bear, oh. <laughs> bear with me, but I'm, I'm still here. Okay, the, okay. Um, so yeah, the thyroid is hugely important. It is what I call the queen of all hormones. Every cell of our body has a thyroid receptor site. We would be when our thyroid is not working well. Really, nothing is working well, and you're not feeling well when our thyroid when your thyroid is not working well. So, um, there's a lot of different underlying thyroid issues that don't show up on standard thyroid labs. So, any of your listeners will know. Okay, what are the what are the labs that my doctor runs for a thyroid issue? It's going to be a TSH, maybe a T4. Because that's all they need to run, they give you the medication they give you mm-hmm. synthroid, levothyroxine. so it's superfluous ex- extra lab testing to run all the thyroid tests that should be ran if the end result still going to be synthroid of the medication. So from a standard model of care, they just run the basic test to give the, give you the corresponding pharmaceutical uh, drug. so from from a functional medicine standpoint, we want to know what's the function of that's at play here what's the mechanism pathway that's at play here that's actually causing these symptoms it's actually contributing and explaining why this is going on here so we talked about autoimmunity the american endocrine society says upwards of 90 percent of low thyroid function in the west are autoimmune in nature the majority being hashimoto's disease or autoimmune thyroiditis And then Graves' disease being the other one. Um, But then there's, again, this whole spectrum where they aren't bad enough to be full-blown Hashimoto's, meaning they'll have one antibody positive but not both, or the TSH isn't fully high enough for them to call it Hashimoto's disease. So we want to look at that component. But then there's so many other things that could be at play with thyroid. And every one of them are given the same pill. Every one of them is given Synthroid. Even though that doesn't explain, okay, does my thyroid, does my body convert the thyroid from T4 to T3? Do you I do I have low T3 and not T4? I mean they're not even really testing for these things because they just want to give the basic pill for this ICD-10 code, um, and we're more concerned with what's the actual root cause that's at play here. And for some people, a synthroid is appropriate, but we want to see is it appropriate or not. And even if it is appropriate, is it the entire puzzle? <laughs> Most of the time, it's not the entire puzzle, even if it is appropriate.
0: So there is a link then between thyroid and the autoimmune and the sensitivities, and all of this is tied together.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, not uh, not only anecdotally, like clinically that I see it, but it, well-researched uh, in the medical journals as well. I mean, I've written about this for a lot of years now, it's, it's something that people don't oftentimes connect with them because they think, well, my thyroid's my hormones, what does that have to do with my gut, or what does that have to do with my immune system? But when you have an autoimmune disease that's attacking your thyroid, your thyroid's really not the cause of the issue. Your thyroid is victim of the immune attack in the cases of autoimmune reactivity and Hashimoto's disease. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely implicated in a lot of cases.
0: Wow. Well, I'll give you a water break now, so, so I'll chat. <laughs> um, no, I'm super interested in in everything that you are doing, and I'm I think it's so cool that you have a virtual clinic. I'm going to be one of your patients, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Um, but I, I have learned over the last um, decade or so how, you know, foods are playing a role in me, and I had some lab work done, and I don't care about sharing my privacy, (laughs) my health history on, you know, a podcast, but I had borderline um, labs on all, I was on the high range of normal, right? So, I think that's really fascinating what you said earlier about um, how that's not necessarily a good thing. So, I'm really interested in talking to you one-on-one, but um, as far as, like, a case study, can you give us an example of, like a me or a patient that, that you've started working with, and obviously you can't share details, but sort of an example of when they came to you and sort of the progression um, of how you guys work together and what where they are now, like sort of a, you know, a before and after type picture.
1: Yeah, sure. So we see most of our patients are really severe cases where they have tried a lot, and that's just the way... Um, our clinic is today. It's, we, we definitely have people that are not so severe. Um, and I would love someone, to, I encourage people to be as proactive as they can and deal with these things as early as possible. I'm not advocating only severe people to, to seek out functional medicine. The earlier you can deal with these issues, the better. These are typically chronic degenerative issues. But with that said, most Americans and most people in the world wait till things are way too progressed. And um, our patients have tried a lot of different things. Not, none of them really worked for long. And then they come to us, and then they're still their health in the gutter, and they have really nothing to show for it other than a pile of labs and all these different doctors' opinions and, me- and medications. So uh, one example I can think of um, was a patient that uh, had MS-type symptoms. She came in with a cane, Uh, she, her health was really bad. I mean, she could only eat like one food, um, because she just had reactivities like on her skin and her digestion with everything that she ate. Um, and we ran labs that were relevant to her case. We looked at all the different components there and there's a lot of different factors from the viral issues and microbiome issues and toxicity issues Hormonal problems, there's a lot of different pieces to her puzzle. So it's really one piece. There's bigger pieces and smaller pieces, but there's typically uh, multifaceted reasons as to what's going on with these cases. And then when we start dealing with these issues, and it's definitely not a quick fix, we're talking about at least six months of concerted effort. And then really, I mean, most of our patients are with us for about a year. um, And it's just every month we're making changes. I mean, now, She's doing amazing things. She's not using the cane anymore, the walking cane. She's like, has so much energy. Her digestion's completely better. She's not having her neurological flare ups anymore. They've decreased in frequency and intensity. And she's not on any medications. And she said, I was planning funeral arrangements when I met you. Now I'm planning vacations with my family. Wow. And like that word, that sentence really just like reminds myself and my team like why are we doing this and we wake up every morning we start the day off before we see patients and really just uh, how can we be a blessing to these people and really praying that we are meeting them where they're at and being them for being there for them in the way that they need in that time in their life and we take we don't take that lightly and when that lady said that to me, I was like, wow, like this is what's at stake here this is not just, This is not just, I want to lose weight, which is certainly important, right? But we would even see the weight gain as a symptom of something not being addressed. This is about really regaining someone's vitality in life itself.
0: That's awesome. What is something that a listener who's thinking, okay, I've got some issues, what is something that they could do prior to maybe setting up an appointment with you? Like, What is something that you could tell everyone in America to try, um, you know, some steps to get a hold of their health?
1: Well, I think it's maybe good to kind of get some clear insight into what's going on here. So maybe some things to do, uh, I mean, not to be, I I just mean we have a lot of good access uh, to tools on our website. If you go to drwillcole.com, we have quizzes online where people can kind of see, okay, what may be my issues? So some of those obscure questions that I mentioned earlier they may want to dig in deeper to see what's relevant to their case. So the quizzes are one way to see if this may be an issue for or not. So maybe things like adrenal uh, fatigue, like HP, brain adrenal access issues or gut issues or thyroid issues, They're kind of naming the areas that are maybe the you need more focus with. And then there's a lot of good tools on our website if you don't want to see a doctor I've written like for the past eight, nine years at least uh, every week articles where people can kind of dig in to say, okay, what can I do in my life today on my own? And there's a lot of good uh, food medicine ideas, a lot of good like just home stuff for you to do on your own. So uh, uh, there's a lot of good resources, depending on what you're going through, that patients can do on our website.
0: Your articles are really awesome. That's what made me find you. I actually like binge read your website a couple of months ago. I mean, it really good stuff. So definitely everyone go check that out. It's like a Netflix for your gut.
1: <laughs> Netflix of functional medicine. I think that's what I've just, that's pretty awesome.
0: You should just put that on your website. I'm the Netflix of functional medicine. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay. So is there anything else that you want to let everyone know? I mean, as far as the the virtual clinic you have or, or anything that you'd like to share before I ask you the final question?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I mean, maybe just not give up hope, but you know, whoever's listening here, it could be a really, um, a disillusioning thing to go through some of these issues that we're talking about because on the outside, many times people look normal. And a lot of our patients have told me over the years, and I learned so much from them and what it's like to go through these issues that, uh, it's people oftentimes judge them. Why can't you do things? Why can't you do things with us anymore? Because they're fatigued maybe and they just don't and they, or they're in pain and all this stuff that's really silent and can be isolating because on the outside, everything's looks normal, but you feel like a wreck and it's, it's, it's a chore to just get through the day. And just to know that you're not alone. There's a lot of people going through this, uh, these type of issues, these inflammatory issues and, um, maybe just to hope to not give up because oftentimes people can feel like giving up and there's, there's really so much hope out there and you can't really know what's out there until you've kind of dug in deep and see what would be appropriate for you. And when they're just given medications as the option, they feel like, well, what's the point of even trying anymore when this is my only option your right. the option.
0: Right. Right. I have one more question before another question. Um, A lot of my audience is endurance athletes. So swimming, cycling, running, doing long distance, triathlons kind of stuff. Have you seen a big connection in, you know, long distance training and racing as far as um, inflammation and autoimmune?
1: Well, yeah, I think it's, it can be stressful on the body. I mean, definitely it's a, it's, that is a stress on the body. So depending on the person's own genetics and own biochemistry some people can tolerate that stress better than others so things that come to mind if the person has a genetic predisposition for autoimmunity if they are taxing their body too much with stress without some mitigators there yeah I mean it could be a, a it could be a facet to someone's own autoimmune puzzle not to say that's the cause of their autoimmunity but to say that we have to look at What you're doing, even with good intentions, even with healthy intentions of training, how is this impacting your body? And not just because you read it on a blog or in an article, but what's right for you? Hmm. Um, And I also would say uh, as far as other issues that I see with endurance uh, athletes is HPA axis issues, which we didn't talk that much about, but it's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or what's commonly referred to as adrenal fatigue. If someone is again not metabolically optimized, we see things with their with their cortisol rhythm that can impact their energy, and they're just fatigued. They're chronically fatigued, when, where HPA axis can be one piece to that puzzle as to the cause of that
0: fatigue. Okay, yeah, I'm like big pause there. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so the final question that I have for you, um, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, and it was created from the idea that we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do as individuals that makes our 24 hours great. What It's what contributes to our health and our happiness and our success. So what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think makes your life better?
1: I think the biggest thing that I do that makes my life better is mindfulness. And I don't want to be too vague with that. I want to be specific. So specifically being mindful and being present, I think is is the center for which a good day comes, or even if a bad day comes, if you want to label it, uh, how are you going to handle that day? If you're centered in the present moment, you're more apt to make more positive choices and healthy choices, not just with foods, but healthy the way you talk to people and healthy the way that you're reacting to things so one way that I do mindfulness in my day is when I have a situation that I perceive as good or bad I I I have to say is am I in a state of acceptance enjoyment or enthusiasm which comes from Eckhart Tolle I don't know if you know Eckhart Tolle Mm -hmm. or not Uh, he, I mean, his books are the, really the only books that I read over and over again, but acceptance, enjoyment, and enthusiasm. I say it to my kids and they get super annoyed, but if I have a situation that I don't particularly like, I have to say, I have to pick one of these three things. I can't necessarily in a, in a situation that I don't really, thats not super positive. I can't be in enjoyment or enthusiasm, but I have to be in acceptance. And this I think is the day, makes anybody's day better because they're going to be picking one of these logical uh, things that we can change. Because the other option is chaos and stress and anxiety on something you, if you can't be in acceptance for it, you're going to have to really find the place to be in acceptance because you, unless you can change the situation, you know.
0: Right. It reminds me of the serenity prayer. Yeah. God grant me. Yeah. Totally. So, well, thank you so much. This was very awesome. And I'm going to post the links to your website up with the show so everyone can check it out and binge read your articles.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.